This is Michael Popak, Legal AF, right on cue. Donald Trump has attacked the main Secretary of State, Shanna Bellows, called her a partisan hack, said that she's biased and should have recused herself um, as the number one ground for why the main Superior Court, in a petition that Trump just filed that's all of nine pages, um, arguing that uh, the decision by the main Secretary of State last week, that based on her reading of Maine's unique statutory provisions about who gets to be on the ballot and who makes the decisions about who gets to be on the ballot, that Donald Trump falsely claimed to be qualified for office when he has been disqualified by being involved as an insurrectionist or a rebel against the Constitution, disqualifying him under the 14th Amendment, Section 3. That's a decision that the the State House of Maine has given that discretion to the Secretary of State under their statutory scheme to determine who can be on the ballot. And that fell to Shana Bellows. Shana Bellows used to be in the State House of Maine. She was an elected official making laws for about seven or eight years. Um, and But she got appointed, that's how it works in Maine, she got appointed by the Maine uh, House to be the Secretary of State. And it's the Secretary of State's generally, and certainly the state houses of each state that make the decision what to do about the 14th Amendment, Section 3. Because on its face, it just says that anybody that engages in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution, right, cannot have a federal office where he's been sworn to uphold the Constitution. That's what it says. But what do you do about it? Founding fathers, the framers of the Constitution, never told us what to do with it. The Constitution didn't come with an owner's manual, didn't come with a blueprint. You have to figure it out. I'll tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say you go back to Congress or the Electoral College and ask them what to do next because it's so hard to read plain English as it's been written. So the attack first, let me report on the attack on Shanna Bellows by Donald Trump. Does this come as any shock whatsoever that he wasted almost all of his nine pages, Donald Trump? The very first argument that he makes, which we have to assume is his strongest argument, is that she's a Democrat. Okay, that's how politics work, Mr. Trump. People in the state house, people that are secretaries of state run for office, usually on party lines, where they get appointed to office by their state legislature or or, or, or the uh, the house of le- where legislation is made. And that's what happened to Shanna Bellows. That she is a Democrat should come as no surprise in Maine that you think because she's a Democrat, she is fundamentally incapable from her DNA, the fiber of her being, to make impartial decisions is both wrongheaded and bordering again on misogyny. Why is it that every prosecutor, state attorney, um, uh, secretary of state that Donald Trump uh, takes issue with happens to be a woman and or a person of color? Why is that? Anybody think it's a coincidence out there? I don't. Let's turn to the actual petition that was filed by Donald Trump. Won't take us long. It's all of nine pages with very little in the way of any supporting uh, declarations or affidavits or evidence. So if you've come to this hot take wanting to hear the evidence that Donald Trump has to support all of his arguments, leading with that Shenna Bellows is out to get him and has an ax to grind, you're not going to find it in what he's filed. They've asked for a briefing schedule on the issues to happen over starting with the 5th of January all the way to the to the 16th of January with oral argument before the main superior court in Kennebec and if I'm not pronouncing that 
properly in Maine, please tell me in the chat. But I think it's pronounced Kennebec in the Superior Court there in Maine. So they've already agreed. That's one thing that they've agreed with, with the Secretary of State's office, is the briefing schedule. And we should have a decision soon after the 16th of January. But back to the nine pages, <laughs> not to belabor the point. But let me just tell you what Donald Trump is actually saying. Let's start with page five of his grounds upon which, which relief is sought. Relief is sought on the grounds that the secretary's ruling was the product of a process infected by bias and pervasive lack of due process is arbitrary and capricious and characterized by abusive discretion, affected by error of law, ultra vires, and unsupported by substantial evidence on the record as follows. That's a mouthful. Now you're thinking, well, what's the backup for that? That's very interesting, Mr. Trump. You got my attention. Now, we might have to wait till full briefing, but this is the petition that's been filed, the complaint, if you will. The number one, uh, we could have written this for Donald Trump, the number one attack on the decision is an attack on the main Secretary of State herself. Does that shock anybody? Donald Trump has attacked Judge Chutkin, the D.C. election interference judge, has attacked the prosecutor, Jack Smith, as all being partisan hacks. He's used that same term for Judge Angoron up in New York in the New York civil fraud case, certainly for the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, certainly for the Fulton County Prosecutor, Fawny Willis, certainly for the Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, and the, and the judge up in the Stormy Daniels case, Judge Juan Mershon. Almost all of those people, except for Jack Smith, are people of color and or women or both. Shanna Bellows falls into the woman category. And so it's always, the first thing out of the box is always an attack on the person. And so here he says on page five, that the secretary should have recused herself due to her bias against President Trump as demonstrated by a documented history of prior statements prejudging the interest the issue presented. I'm going to show you Shanna Bellows in a minute. And you tell me if you think she has been uh, made this decision lightly or through a uh, position of bias. Shenna Bellows is a very heartwarming story. She grew up poor, didn't have running water or electricity until the fifth grade. Father's a janitor, mother's a nurse, salt of the earth people. And she's devoted her entire career not to making money but to public interest and public service. She's been in the Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, ACLU director in Maine, Holocaust Museum director in Maine, Secretary of State of Maine, and an elected official in Maine. I doubt she's made much money during that process, but the value of her contributions are immeasurable. That she's also a Democrat should come as no surprise, especially since she's in Maine. I, I am not familiar, to be frank, with any demonstrated, documented history of prior statements by Shenna Bellows prejudging the issue presented. In, in fact, quite the opposite. Let's roll the tape first of Shenna Bellows announcing why she made this particular decision in an interview. Let's roll the video. Uh, tell us, do you think that your decision will survive this appeal by Trump and possibly survive the Supreme Court? Thank you for having me. What I think is important to recognize is this is the process in Maine. Maine is unlike other states, uh, whereby anyone, a registered voter who challenges a candidate's qualifications must appeal to the Secretary of State. I did my job that I was required to do under Maine law and the Constitution in holding a hearing and issuing a decision. The next step under the law 
is this appeal to Maine Superior Court and then the Maine Supreme Judicial Court and then the U.S. Supreme Court. And I, on the last page of my decision, suspended the effect of my decision pending the court process because that is what's important, the rule of law uh, and the Constitution. Do you think it will survive the Supreme Court? I'm not going to, I have, I'm going to follow the will of the courts. I don't know what the courts will do. Whatever the courts will do, I'm going to follow the law and follow the court's direction. Certainly welcome the United States Supreme Court to weigh in. If they disagree with you, what will that mean? Uh, if they disagree with me, uh, Trump will be on the ballot. And like I said, I stayed my decision pending the appeal because it's important that the process play out. That's what our laws require. Being on top of your mental health game is so important. As you know, I'm a practicing trial attorney in addition to my hot takes and co-hosting duties. And so it's easy to fall into bad habits or routines because life gets in the way, especially with your diet. Frankly, I think most people can relate that everyday life gets in the way, making it challenging to find a healthy snack without all the sugar and junk. If you're busy and constantly on the go like me, you need to try Mosh. It's a protein bar made for your brain. With six delicious flavors, each Mosh bar includes 12 grams of protein and is made with ingredients that support brain health like ashwagandha, lion's mane, collagen, and omega-3s. At 160 calories and only one gram of sugar, Mosh protein bars are the guilt-free snack your brain and body will crave. Your brain is your number one tool, which is why Mosh protein bars were mindfully formulated by some of the top neuroscientists and functional nutritionists. Mosh now has a new line of plant-powered protein bars in three delicious flavors. For those who want all the protein and brain support in the original bar, now made with plant-based ingredients. I have a mosh bar midday to energize my end of day and it's totally improved my performance. I love the taste, especially of the peanut butter mosh bar. Delicious. Not to mention the packaging makes it super easy to take with me if I ever find myself hungry in between meetings. Don't settle for a mediocre snack when you can nourish your body and mind with the fuel it needs to succeed. So whether you're at the gym, on the go, or just living your best life, Mosh Protein Bars will keep your brain and body fit, fueled, and feeling good. Head to moshlife.com slash legalaf to save 20% off, plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack. That's 20% off, plus free shipping on your first six-count trial pack, which includes all six mouth-watering flavors. M-O-S-H-L-I-F-E dot com slash legalaf. Now back to the grounds, um, but there's only four or five more. The second grounds, which I guess is the second best argument for Donald Trump, is that the secretary, Shetta Bellows there, denied President Trump due process by failing to give him adequate time and opportunity to present the defense. Stop right there. The other side had just as much opportunity to present a def uh, uh, the, their case as he did. They put on witnesses. They put on expert testimony. They relied on the Jan 6 report uh, for a lot of their evidence uh, and the like, and filed briefs. Donald Trump elected to mail it in. Maybe even phone it in. He filed two briefs, one about Colorado, whether the Colorado ruling against him had any impact on Maine's unique state statute system, and a Maine brief. That's it. He didn't put on what witness. 
He didn't testify. He didn't bring in experts. He had plenty of time to do that. They just got done with the Colorado proceedings two weeks earlier. Many of the same witnesses uh, in Colorado, especially the expert ones on the 14th Amendment and on insurrection and rebellion, were used again in Maine. Donald Trump had the ability, he had plenty of time, yes, within a short one or two week window, but he had plenty of time to present his defense. He just chose not to. As I said on a prior hot take, he just phoned it in. They then claim as their third best argument that the secretary lacked statutory authority to hear the challenges directed to President Trump's supposed disqualification uh, under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. What, what they're arguing there is that his declaration that he was qualified, that he wrote under penalty of perjury, was not false because that particular disqualification clause doesn't mean he can't be on the ballot. It just means at the appropriate time he can't take office. So in Trump's mind, this is back to the world of Trump's followers, where they think he, he can be elected president of the United States and he can serve his term while in prison. So to Donald Trump, the 14th Amendment, which he also argues does not apply to him or to the presidency, is also irrelevant because that has to do with whether he can take his office, not whether he can be elected or, or not. In other words, people of Maine will elect him even though he can't take office and he's disqualified. They also argue that the... Um, the entire decision about the uh, propriety of somebody being on the ballot in, on, in Maine is a political question that can only be decided by Congress, the federal Congress, or by the Electoral College, but not by a state. And that just flies in the face of an entire body of law about the role of each state to determine for itself qualifications for the ballot, even for presidential election. Uh, and... Uh, then they end it with the argument that we've heard time and time again. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is not self-executing and requires some something to happen in Congress to give it effect or it can't be enforced. That's nowhere in the 14th Amendment, Section 3. That's nowhere in the legislative history. It's nowhere in the literal text. It's again, it's just out of the imagination, the imaginary friend of Donald Trump. And so it, they, he also then ends with the the oft-recited incantation of Donald Trump that the 14th Amendment does not apply to, to the president because he's not an officer of the United States and he's never taken an oath to support the Constitution. Their argument there is, I took an oath to defend, preserve, and protect the Constitution, not to support it. So his argument is he's outside the loop of what the 14th Amendment applies to because he's not an officer under the law. He's an officer of the government above the law, I guess that's his argument, that um, he's not a civil servant that works for the government. He is the government, right? There's only one branch of government that's occupied primarily by one person. That's the executive branch. You know, legislative branch, you know, at the top nine members of the Supreme Court, we've got all the hundreds of people that are in the House and the Senate and one person in the presidency. And then finally, he, they argue that he did not engage in insurrection or rebellion in any event because his conduct is just public speeches, which is this First Amendment, and he didn't incite anybody to do anything and good night, everybody. That's his argument. That's his entire petition. It's nine pages long. We'll put it up on the screen. Uh, and uh, he wants that decision vacated, and he wants the uh, himself reinstated on the ballot. Now, Shanna Bellows had stayed her order until the Superior Court rules. Let's assume the Superior Court rules by January, uh, off of the oral argument on the 16th of January, 
let's say within five days of that, somewhere around the 21st of January, whoever loses that would have to take an appeal to the main Supreme Court. And then they could take the rest of the month of January into early February to make an ultimate ruling there. While all of that's going on, um, let's talk about the split screen moment here. The US Supreme Court is deciding how the 14th Amendment, Section 3, is actually uh, implemented. Who implements it? Is it the states? under their statutory provisions about who's qualified to be on the ballot? Is it only Congress because it's a political question? Is it the Electoral College? Is it the federal courts? Who is supposed to be making the decision? In other words, it's not surplusage. The, the framers, the founding fathers wrote something in the Constitution. What does it mean and how do you apply it? That's the question, right? Like I said at the top of the hot take, it doesn't come with an owner's manual. It doesn't come with a schematic of how to implement and execute aspects of the Constitution. The framers and the founding fathers thought that future generations of Americans would be smart enough to be able to understand the things they wrote with a quill pen on this piece of parchment. And it is, unless you're you're from some other strange world where English is turned upside down, grammar is turned upside down, provisions and language are ignored or read out of the Constitution, and you and you and then you just you can't make heads or tails of it. That's what that's what Donald Trump wants. He wants us to make to make it so confusing, um, so wrapped around the axle in trying to interpret and construe the Constitution that we just give up and go. Well, I don't know what they meant by the Fourteenth Amendment, the Third Article. Can't figure it out. Let's move on. It's like a it's like a child building building a a model a model airplane or a model train, and they have all these parts left over on the side that they just can't figure out where they go. Well, the train looks like it'll run. Well, I don't know about this little pile over here. <laughs> I know this. I used to build models, to build models when I was a child. And so what happens next? We've got the briefing schedule already agreed to. We've got the Kennebec Maine Superior Court making an ultimate decision on this, on oral argument. I, I think it's a three-judge panel there for this particular thing, not one judge, but I will double-check that for another hot take. And for Legal AF, which we're going to follow the developments in Maine. Now, Bob, back, let me just make this one final point about Colorado. The U.S. Supreme Court is going to make a ruling about likely likely at or around the time that Kennebec is trying to make their decision in Maine. And they're going to have to decide what to do about the 14th Amendment, Section 3. Is Donald Trump right that it's a political question? Congress has to act that, you know, uh, once he was uh, impeached and not convicted, he can't be banned from ballots or whatever his crazy crackpot theories are. Or does the language of the Constitution say what it says? And that if you violate Article you know, if you engage in insurrection or rebellion, you are barred from federal office and that the presidency is included in that and that Donald Trump's oath was good enough uh, to trigger uh, the application of that provision. While that's going on, that will likely overcome any ruling to the contrary by the main, um, uh, the main uh, courts, even up to the main highest court, the Supreme Court of Maine. So these are going to be running sort of parallel, and they may intersect at a certain moment because the Supreme Court ruling will likely imprint on what Maine is trying to do. But they need to, pro they need to progress their own interpretation of their own laws and the powers of their own Secretary of State, independent from what uh, the uh, Supreme Court says. Because the Supreme Court could say, yes, 
It is applicable to a president of the United States like Donald Trump. Yes, he's a proper federal office holder. He's an officer under the United States. He's also an officer who swore an oath to the Constitution. It applies. And then it's up to each state to determine what the impact of that is state by state under their process. And that's why Maine needs to progress their own state process and not wait around and go, huh, let's put a pin in this and see what the Supreme Court does. No. You need to progress your case and then catch up with the jurisprudence as it's being made new precedent, maybe towards the end of your briefing schedule. So I think by Feb 1, the landscape is going to be clear, right? The dust is going to settle on this. We will have fully briefed an issue at the U.S. Supreme Court. They will have likely ruled on the issue, giving guidance state by state to these state court challenges. If they say thumbs up, states go go right ahead. Maine will be almost done or done by that point in its fact-finding. And it may be up to the main Supreme Court. Uh, if they kill it, they say, well, for all 14th Amendment, Section 3 qualification issues go back to Congress and that states have no role in making that decision, that will kill the main case. The main case will be put out of its misery and put out of business by that ruling. So that's the interplay between the U.S. Supreme Court federal decision-making and what's going on state by state to exhaust their administrative and appeal processes that have to go on simultaneously. We'll continue to follow all of this, try to make it less complex, more interesting, more entertaining, but accurate. We don't blow smoke or sunshine on the Midas Touch Network, nor on Legal AF. Join us every Wednesday or Saturday, or both, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, where we put together the podcast we curate, and we call the Legal AF Pod, and it's exactly what you think. Karen Freeman Ignifolo is with me. Ben Micellis is with me. We join together for the top-rated show at the intersection of law, politics, and justice. So, until my next hot take, if you give me a thumbs up and a comment, it helps with the ratings. Until my next hot take... Wednesdays and Saturdays. This is Michael Popak reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Midas Touch to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.